When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Miller Report with Suzanne Miller on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now, here's Suzanne Miller. Welcome to the Miller Report. I'm Suzanne Miller. The Miller Report is a weekly podcast hosted by WABC. We talk to business leaders as it relates to real estate because real estate is the glue that keeps all businesses everywhere alive. At the Miller Report, we are rebuilding New York City together. With us today is a special guest, Wendy Fetterman. I could speak volumes of Wendy's success. Just to name a few, Wendy has gotten 13 Tony Awards, two Olivier Awards, and 11 Drama Desk Awards. In 2019, she received the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. Wendy has produced over 95 Broadway shows and is a board member at the Kennedy Center. 95 Broadway shows. That's a lot. That's a lot of achievements, Wendy. Thank you for coming on the Miller Report. Thank you for asking me. It's my pleasure. Wendy, you've done it all. Comedies, musicals, drama. You are clearly a towering figure on Broadway. Tell us a little bit about the inside, like what goes on behind the scenes. Take us into your world. Well, I love my world. The thing that I love about it the most, of course, is the product, which are the shows. When you walk into the theaters and you're with an audience and you see everybody enjoying themselves, you're watching this great entertainment. The audience is happy. You're employing actors. You're employing a whole lot of other people that are making this show happen. It's just such a wonderful situation. And I just love the live theater and I love the art. Broadway is the heart and soul of New York City. And I'm just honored and thrilled to be a part of it. You created so many onstage productions from icon authors, which I love, like George Orwell, 1984, or Eugene O'Neill, The Iceman, Cometh, Tennessee Williams, The Glass Menagerie, everybody knows that, or Harbor Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird. What are the biggest challenges when you're dealing with the Broadway hit like that? Well, when it's a hit, it's quite wonderful. You know, I've, I've been very fortunate to have some wonderful partners to have uh, been invited to be on the producing team of some of these incredible shows. You know, follow the talent. I think that's in any business. You know, follow and work with the people that you admire and respect and that you know or know what they're, what they're doing. And usually after, with the talent, goes the success. And of course, you've mentioned some incredible, iconic authors. And I was fortunate to be on those teams. And then it's always wonderful to discover and be on the team of somebody that's a brand new name and then watch them become the next big deal. So it's sort of nice to uh, be able to go from either. It's really, it's about the talent. It's about the art. You know, the art has to be there. The art has to come first. And the team has to be right. If you're going to do an iconic, beautiful play by O'Neill, it deserves the respect of the right performers, director, creative team, and, and the entire team around it. And of course, putting it in the right theater at the right time. You know, there were a lot of decisions to be made to make sure that the work of art, whether it's a play or a musical, is given its best possible chance to succeed. But like with the icon authors, it's it's so, the gravity of that is, is humongous because you have to keep their reputation. And how do you 
handle that? Well, first of all, especially with the authors you mentioned, if the author, you know, we normally have to deal with their estates. Mm -hmm. So especially in theater, writers are the most protected than in any other medium, more than even in television or film. So we don't change a word. Certainly if it's a, you know, and when you see the revivals and it's an estate, the only way that anything is changed or maybe made a new version of or modernized is with the approval of, if that writer is still alive, those writers, or with the approval of the estate to make sure that their wishes are being honored. And I'm going down to the exclamation point that every Everything is done exactly where everybody feels that it may not be an exact replica of the original production, but it's giving it a new spin, maybe for a new generation. But again, with the permission of the estate of those authors and honoring to make sure that we make it as good as possible. That's just so fascinating. That's just Mm -hmm. unbelievable. The reality is that you're able to keep the creativity while keeping the, I guess, letters to the law, as you're saying, right? So it's, it's, it's... Well, you know, it's a combination of you want to keep the creativity, you want to give honor to uh, a work that has obviously been admired for quite a long time. You don't want to offend the people that loved it. But again, you know, I think it's wonderful when we can show a new generation, you know, why we love this particular form of art or why we love Shakespeare, for example. And there have been so many interpretations of Shakespeare plays that are done in set in different time frames and time periods because directors have an idea of how to change it. And again, the main thing to do is to make sure to present it in a way that is honoring it and respecting it, but making sure that we're doing it so audiences will enjoy it because also, you know, we are, I am part of the commercial theater world, so we have to be sure that we are, as best as possible, putting together a work of art that will also be appreciated by as many, as large an audience as possible. You know, the, the, the not-for-profit theaters can be a little riskier, but again, when it comes to iconic work, we work with either that those authors or the estate to make sure that everybody is in agreement of, let's try this interpretation, whether it's to the exact way that it was done or taking a spin on, let's try something a little different, but still you know, bring it to an audience. Thank you for that. Thanks for giving us that explanation. I do understand that you come from a family of entertainment and you've always loved entertainment. Yes. I read a lot about you. (laughs) And, but this wasn't your only thing. Like you, something else, you started in other businesses, which led you to this path. Well, what happened was my mother, my aunt, and my uncle were all entertainers, performers. My mother was Broadway, radio, television. My aunt started on radio, wound up in LA with film and became a big agent. And my uncle Paul, was the voice of Boris Badenoff and Jolly Green Giant and Pillsbury Doughboy. He was an actor that became very well known for his voice, Paul Fries. Uncle Paul and Mel Blanc were really the voices of every oh, cartoon yeah. that we know from the day. So by the time I was four or five years old, I was singing harmony and in dance class and all of that because it's what we did. But my father actually had a really interesting family business. We manufactured ribbon for the floral and craft trade. And my dad in the late 50s opened an import division. So we were bringing in everything, again, from artificial Christmas trees and all the ornaments to the flowers flowers, baskets, again, anything for floral and craft. And I really thought it was, it was a really beautiful, you know, there were 14 lit Christmas trees year round. And I really enjoyed the business. And I also found I had a good head for math. So I sort of was on both sides. And when I went to university, I did start with the, I studied theater, but my, I studied theater and business at the same time. That was a promise that I made my father. And it worked out for my benefit that I did both. How fascinating that the left brain met the right brain. Usually math and art don't go together. Well, well that's... think about, but think about it though. If you look, not to compare myself, but if you look back at some, and you know, when I speak with songwriters and petition musicians and artists, there is a lot of math. There's, there's math and music writing. There's math and art, you know, the, uh, the geometry of it. So, 
even though there are two sides, I think there is a possibility to bring to bring both together. I know some other producers similar to myself have are on both sides. They've had creative experience, which I think for me was very fortunate that when I came into the world of producing that I had a background as I can read a script, I can listen and write music, I can understand it. So I like to think that that has given me a better chance at knowing what might or what does work and what doesn't work. Do you play an instrument? A piano. Wow. So that's math. Yeah. That's math. We'll have to have you over to play my piano. Anytime. So given that you are the expert, and I'm sure so many people are listening to this now because everybody wants to have to be famous if they're in the art world, right? When you first like when you see a show, like how what is your gut? How do you know if this is going to be a hit? Do you know right away, or how do you? Well, you know, if you want to call the shows or the, the material, the product, I, they come upon me in many different ways. You know, sometimes I'm just presented a play or I'm in, or music or I'm invited to a reading or a workshop of new material. Sometimes I might hear about something that's being done in the theater out of town and out of town could be California or London, but it strikes me or I hear about somebody that's working on something or there's a writer that I know of that I heard is writing something new. So again, there were many different ways to find the material, to find the product. And then sometimes again, it's a phone call, you know, at this point, because I've worked with a lot of people, sometimes it's a phone call going, you know, I'm working on something. I'd really love you to come and see what we're doing. See if you'd like to join us or at least give us your opinion. What do you think? And so that's sort of how it starts. How do you know? I think it's like anything else. You're an expert in real estate. I think that you just, you know, sometimes it's 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 gut. And then of course, because it's got to be about the art, I guess the same way it has to be about the property. It doesn't matter if the numbers are good, if the building is bad, if the, the art, the work has to be there, of course. And then I have to see where and it, where it is in its development and all the other pieces of the puzzle, how I feel they're going to fit in when I come into the project, at what point, you know, where I have an opportunity to be any form of decision maker or, well, this is what we've got. You know, every, every show that I've worked on is different. What is the decision making process? The decision making process can be anywhere from, I really love this music in this script, who would be a good director, who would be good talent. It could be anything from all of, you know, from sort of the beginning to Denzel wants to do Long Day's Journey. You know, do you want to be on the team? And it hap- and then something like that comes up because a famous actor has, or they're in between film or a TV and there's a theater and there's a show and he's got, there's a good director. And sometimes that project is, you know, just happens quickly. It's very different than, especially Especially new musicals can take a lot of years, but that, and those are really, the benefits are tremendous when, when they work, but it's a lot of time. It's a lot of going back to the drawing board. It's a lot of getting your creatives in the same room or on the same Zoom together and getting it right. So again, it really depends on what the project is and how long it's been worked on and where I come into it at what point. Speaking of musicals, you've done some incredible ones. New York, New York, Funny Girl, Ain't Too Proud, Tina Turner. Oh my God, I loved her. Did you ever meet her? We I had the opportunity and, you know, it's interesting. I had the pleasure to run into, um, at a pre-Tony event yesterday, Adrian Warren, who won the Tony Award for playing Tina on Broadway. And she was, of course, had really had some great time with her and talked about what a mentor she was. But just thinking back, you know, when some of those of us of a certain generation, you know, saw her as a rock, you know, come out as a woman of a certain age, as a rock star and could wear those short skirts and could sing it and could be right there with a Mick Jagger and as a role model and an inspiration. And then looking back to the courage she had to live her life the way that she did. So 
I think that she's, um, it was really, again, an honor to be um, invited to be on. When the show opened in London, it was an honor to be invited to be on the, the, the Broadway producing team because I'm just such a fan of not only her work, but what she, what she has meant to women and her sharing her story with other people and the courage that she's given to other women to stand up for themselves. Yes, tremendous courage. Mm -hmm. We all love Tina Turner and she'll be very missed. Very much so. Speaking of being starstruck, Wendy, I'm going to ask you if you'll share sure. some of the more famous people you've had the privilege of working with. Can you tell us? You know, it's interesting because I did start life as a dance, you know, wanting to be, dancing was my favorite thing. And I was, and my dance group, we were such fans of the original chorus line, you know, wow. that we would take the train in. And I just remember the first time I met Donna McKechnie. And we're now, I'm the chair of the nominating committee for the Cheetah Rivera Dance Awards, another icon. But I remember the first time that I, I even was introduced to Donna or sitting with, and, and I, I was tongue, I was tongue tied. So so for me, that was someone iconic. I think if you ask anyone who has been a performer or has somebody that's iconic that way, I've been fortunate to work with wonderful people. I've done two shows and a film with Brian Cranston, who's a pleasure. I've done a couple of shows with James Earl Jones. Wow. I mean, there have just been some people along the way that have been kind and wonderful and marvelous and are just as wonderful offstage as you can imagine. I mean, Bette Midler and Hello, Dolly. I've done a few shows where I've been on the team where Nathan Lane has been involved. Again, you know, I just pinch myself. I've been very, very fortunate. And uh, theater is a really interesting world because, you know, when you bring a show together, it's a bit different than a film. I've done film. But with film, you finish, you know, a shoot and you may not even be on the set all the time. But then everybody takes off. The director goes off with an editor. Maybe you see each other at a film festival or not. But with theater, when you get out of the rehearsal room, you're going into the theater for tech rehearsal and then previews. And especially with a musical, a show that does not have an ending, you know, a final cutoff, but is an open-ended run. You know, these are people you could be interfacing with for, you know, years. That's why I even find it important with who my partner with. You know, as much as the talent, it's also the team. Because uh, if you're lucky enough, you're living together for a long time. Because after Broadway, it's not just about the Broadway show, but a lot of the shows, especially musicals, have a life can have a long life after. You right. can have your national tour. You can go to London, Australia. Licensing deals around the world, let alone, you know, regional theater, universities. So it, I think, again, like any other business, it's about your, your, the team that you're with as well. That must have been so tough during the pandemic. Like, how did these actors, what did they do to earn a living? Well, it was March 12th, a show that I'm a financial backer of a wonderful musical called Six. I was on the West Side Highway coming in. Now, I knew something was going on that day because they invited one producer from every show, the league, for a big meeting. So I knew something was brewing. But phone goes off, text goes off, opening canceled for tonight, go home. <sighs> We figure three weeks. The actresses, the all the actors in every show, just leave your stuff. April 15th will probably be back. Oh my and God. that was the word around the city, if you think back, was that it'll they're going to clean everything, it'll blow over. So obviously, it was kind of shocking. I mean, I wasn't used to being home at night because <laughs> I'm not at my own show. I go to other shows or I go to 54 Below or a cabaret room. You know, this is what I love to do. And my kids, God bless, are grown. So and my husband, if he doesn't come with me, it's fine. He has his own thing. I'm out. I love being at live entertainment, especially. So it was really kind of shocking. And of course, we realized that our industry was probably really devastated because at least restaurants, maybe they had the outdoor shelters and film was able to happen in certain circumstances because you could contain a set with very, very strict regulations. But my world, you're getting 500 people or 1500 people in an audience, let alone the people backstage. And for anyone, if you've ever 
been to the backstage of a Broadway theater, unless it's one of the very few new ones, you are squished. They are small, they're older, there's very little room in the wings, so you are just on top of each other. And it was a very tough time. How were the actors paid? You know, we had agreements to pay them for a certain amount of time. After then, it really became uh, unemployment insurance. Uh, some of the actors were fortunate as filming started taking place to get some uh, TV gigs and film gigs, again, that were being done under very strict circumstances, but the first show that reopened was, I even remember the date, I believe it was August 4th of 2021, was a play called Passover. Nothing to do with the holiday. It just happened to be a wonderful two-hander play. And it was a, it was just remarkable to even be in the room and have it back. And then there's been, you know, it's been a roller coaster. It has not been totally smooth sailing. It is now in terms of COVID's gone. No regulations. Obviously, if somebody feels more comfortable wearing a mask in anywhere, they're welcome to. People do. But that's no longer an issue, you know, but we're still building back to where we were. Question. Of course. And again, at the Miller Report, we really try and educate and a lot of people are listening. Of course. We want, to, so we want New York to be back to where it was. Absolutely. We want to we're all in this together. What do you see now? Do you see, I mean, I know, I know tourists are taking up a lot of our hotels where the that's, I don't know, they're taking up hotel rooms, so we're not yes. getting the tourists here. So I don't know if the, how that's affecting Broadway. What about the people that are coming in from the suburbs? Are they concerned about the history of crime that's going on right now? Who are you seeing coming and how are ticket sales? Well, pending the show, some shoes are doing tremendously well and other ones have had a bit more of a struggle, although we're hopeful that we're coming into now the big summer season. Tourism is up because I speak with and I'm on the committees with you know, people in hotel and restaurant. I know myself just this morning, I was in the Times Square area and bumping into people, which maybe used to annoy me before 2020, but now it's it's great. The lines to go on those buses to tour around, the lines at TKTS. So yes, tourism is back. I'm told that within the next six months to a year, we're gonna have a lot of the international will be back. What I would, the people I would really like to see back more are our Burbs. We're getting city people back, but I would say Bergen County, Westchester, Lower Connecticut, Long Island, the people that really were doing two, three, two or three times a month. It doesn't seem to be a matter. COVID is no longer in the conversation. I think it's one, number one, I think it's a habit that they have to get used to. And I think the more that I hear somebody finally went to see a show again and they loved it, mm -hmm. they're willing to come back. Is there a concern about crime? You know, that is a concern. It would be crazy if they weren't. You know, I find that for the most part, the theater neighborhoods, 42nd to 54th in theater, especially if you're going at theater times, are are good. You know, I would say to anybody, I would have said it before the 2020, uh, you don't walk around, there's no need to be flashy. You know, keep it understated. I think that's the safe thing to do anywhere in the city, but for sure, be comfortable. But you know, but you have, I don't think there's any issue coming in, seeing a show, going to a restaurant in the area and seeing a show. So I would like to encourage the suburban, please come and, you know, take advantage of this incredible entertainment because tourists, people from other states are certainly coming in and enjoying themselves. But of course it's, um, we would like to see the situation be even better or as it was back in the, I don't want to say good old days of when Michael Bloomberg was mayor, but that was certainly a moment where- The city was safer. City just, yeah. it. it did feel
feel better. I think this particular mayor inherited a lot of difficult issues. I will at least give him snaps because he does come to openings and so is at least supporting the industry or has spoken about how important Broadway is to New York City. I think it's a larger problem than just us in saying that the Broadway industry brings huge revenue to New York City, to New York State. So it really is very important. Our our thriving is tens of thousands of jobs are involved and we're one of the reasons that people even book a trip to come to New York City. So I think, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. We need to make people feel that safety is not a concern, so they will come back in and spend more money, you know, in our neighborhoods and parking lots and restaurants and see the shows and buy stuff in the stores and in that area. And, you know, so we're staying trusting and hopeful that it will go in the correct direction. Well, you're correct. And when you think about New York City, it is Broadway. So we have to really band together and do what we can to keep Broadway thriving. Absolutely. I agree with you. Let's switch over to a minute and talk about the numbers. You said you're a math person. So I've always been curious about this when you and I've done some Broadway plays. I've mm-hmm. invested, as you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to what you tell investors. Let's talk about the math. When you're bringing an investor on, like, how, what's your pitch? And are they guarantees? And what kind of return could somebody invest? Can they expect to get on their investment? Take us through that. Well, every show is going to be different, of course, because it's it's everyone has a different reason for being. And I always look at myself as my first investor. I am. So therefore, you know, I have my checklist of why I think something's going to work. Same as in film, or uh, you know. You you have comparable. Well, I think this is going to work because number one, it might have a similar audience or flow to another production that was successful. And then whether it's the material, the star, the importance to what is going on right now in terms of the world and the conversation, you know, so that's the number one. In terms of how much money can be made, you know, again, it's an art and an art form and there's never any sort of guarantees. We can just, again, look at it and go, this is why I think it's going to work. I think X amount of people are going to show up and here are our expenses and I just feel that it's going to, we're going to make money or more money every week than we're going to spend. And that's how we make them simplify it. As long as we bring in more people and make more money every week than we have to spend to bring in the show, we can pay everybody back from their initial investment and then continue with profit. And then what happens is, especially with the musicals, you know, anyone, when you're an investor in the initial Broadway show, you get to partake in the profits whenever the show goes further. Again, as we talked about national tours, London, Australia, anywhere in the world and or in the and down to the regionals, whether you have the opportunity to invest in those because you were in the original production or you're just part of the licensing deal where you're in that in the pool that will make some money off of the fact that that show is still running somewhere in the world and you were part of the original. So again, I really, you know, I, I discuss every show individually of why, here's why I think it's going to work. I don't do anything. I'm not a fund. I'm an independent producer. I look at every opportunity at as an independent. I'm doing this show. I'm a part of this show. And here's why. And would you like to join? You know, would you like to be part of it? So there's no formula. It's not like when I sell a piece of real estate that I, and as an investor, I could tell them you're going to get this much rent and this much of your expenses and there's your return. We have a formula in the sense that we pretty much know our expense. We know what the show is going to cost. We're going to raise $5 million, $10 million, $20 million. We have a good idea. We have our weekly expenses, which of course, like even in real estate, oil could go, you know, prices, could, things go up or down. And again, we can give a good guesstimate of what we feel will be the attendance on the show and why we think that the show is going to make money for the following reasons. I think that's where it veers off from real estate where, you know, you know what the other buildings are getting on the block and it's a new building or it's a 20 year old building, whatever it is. I think it's a little easier to give that number. But, uh, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, there have been 
I think people are seeing there have been so many more films that have been turned into uh, Broadway shows, especially musicals, as well as you're finding some of these groups, these bio-musicals, or music that has been written that is being used in new Broadway shows. Why? Because the record labels and the film studios, when they see how much money you can make from investing and being a part of a new musical, it's, and again, it's not just the Broadway revenue, it's the fact that it's going to have such a long tail. Even shows that don't fully recoup on Broadway, bring back all their money, they can do that as they go out on the road or in other countries or wherever they go because there's just additional income coming in. So, you know, that's just proof of why, you know, we know we're doing something right because other entertainment industries, people want to bring their material to a Broadway stage. Well, that's great. Keep them coming. I want to keep investing. I, it's my <laughs> pleasure. That's part of what I do is source Right. Source new material. So let's switch a minute to what everybody's talking about with this digital world. Can you imagine watching Broadway on the metaverse? What are you, are you even watching any of this? You know, again, of course I have an ear to the ground, especially because of the, the WGA strike and all of that. Mm -hmm. And part of the, the conversation is AI. It is, well, one of the things I love about live theater is live theater has been here from the Greeks. And I think there's still something about being in a room with people. That's a certain energy. I have my own shows that I have seen dozens of times. And even though a word is not changed. The energy is different. The feel is different because it's a different audience. And an actor might just be in a different thought process that night. So there's something about live that I think will live on forever. Will AI make a difference? Of course. I mean, I remember a conversation a couple of years ago talking about hologramming shows into your home. But again, well, great. Of course, you know, hologram that great actor into my living room. But there's something about sitting in yes. the room with 500 or 1,000. Why are people going to concerts? Why did everyone just spend a fortune to go see Taylor? Taylor Swift, when I'm sure it's being filmed and I'm sure on your huge screen at home, you're going to be able to watch it and enjoy it. Why? Because people want to be there live. You know, I think the studies of the statistics that I've been reading is especially, um, you know, the, the people in their 20s, 30s. It's about experiences. You know, everyone's not rushing to buy their, their like we did, I think their first home or their first car, but they're, they really are, they're spending money on life and lifestyle. And whether it's the once in a lifetime meal, the experience, the time out. So I think there's a world where our live experiences are still going to be needed, enjoyed. You know, I think coming out of the shutdown, I think the one thing that a lot of people realized is isolation was a terrible thing. I think my bigger, my concern, of course, would be because I am so in awe of and admire the writers. You know, you're staring at that empty page or you're staring at your piano or your guitar and they make magic. And these are people that, of course, should be compensated and, and, and uh, paid appropriately. And I would think now that there is something where you can talk into this, an app and go, write me a sonnet in the style of Shakespeare to my husband and say, I, you know, I love that you bring me roses. And all of a sudden this spits you out this sonnet. Now, is it as good as a person writing it? No, but I don't know what it's going to be 10 years down the road. And I really don't know. It is a conversation to be had by way brighter and more scientific minds than mine but i do think it is a concern have we have we made the have we made a the machines too smart will there ever be able to replicate human emotion you know it's sort of like the the science fiction movies and tv shows we watched 20 years ago is that all going to be happening down the road it's not just going to be beam me up scotty but is it going to be you know how is that going to be able to come into a creative take over creativity. So there's one part about people being in a room and energy together where I think that will remain. How the creative, for the creative people, for the artists, 
how that's going to be treated and handled as opposed to what AI is going to be able to do down the road. I think that's what's in tremendous conversation right now. And I guess to a certain point, a bit concerning, maybe not for today, but five, 10, 20 years from now, you know, for our children's generations and their children. You know, I don't think it's just Broadway. It's everything. It's, it's oh, Broadway's doctors, minor. Yeah. It's doctors, it's judges, it's lawyers, it's, it's every profession is going to be touched by this. And hopefully it'll be for the best and they'll still need humans to embark and help all of this so we could combine that. And that's really my hope. But I am concerned as well as you are. And how do you see the future of Broadway? Like, what is your vision? How do you think it's going to continue? You think it's going to change in any way? How do you see the next 10 years in Broadway? Oh, I think Broadway's going to be there. There's no question. You know, New York City is still the greatest city in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a world for Broadway. I still think, you know, I still love when I see, especially on a matinee day, you know, everyone's dressed their kids up a little bit to go see a show a little bit more than you, you do for a film. is more about, well, you know, right. slobber down your popcorn and your candy. They come to a show a little bit more and you have to put your electronics away. That's the wonderful yes, part. Silence it. And you can't be late. Well, <laughs> late, but also, but you're not, you can tell during a film or a TV show. You have to be present. So I think it's really wonderful. I do think technology, I think you're going to see a lot more immersive work. I'm involved with a, a, a new a musical. It was done 2012 at the Public Theater, but we're finally opening on Broadway this summer called Here Lies Love. And it's going to be an interactive show, meaning it was interactive then. You the you're, you have the opportunity to buy a ticket where you're standing. It's 90-minute musical, and you're moving with the actors, and you're moving around, and the theater's been reconfigured. You're going to be finding a lot more technology in live theater. I think there's going to be a combination of the actors with the technology, which is just going to make the experience even heightened. So I think there's some wonderful things coming up. You know, Broadway has always been ahead of the curve in terms of diversity and new, and bringing new voices. I think it will be a matter of how to figure out how to do that in the right, so the economics work. But Broadway has certainly always been, I mean, just if you just look at everything that's nominated and that's out there now, I think there's incredible diversity and, you know, there are so many choices for people to see that when some the question when somebody asked me I want to see a show I really have to go through well what do you really want and what do you like what do you normally what are your what was the last show you show you saw what do you watch on TV or film you know I think that's a big difference from 20 10 20 30 years ago when there was things were more the same and then you would get one show a decade or so that would be revolutionary and then move things to the next you know I guess our last revolutionary was a was Hamilton which really propelled right. you know all of a sudden I know for myself like the bar went up of excellence. Um, even something like Dear Evan Hansen, which just got it right. They were those creative, those young, they just worked and got it right. So again, I just think it's going to be a buildup of, it just has to be better. It should be better. You know, we know that we're asking people to leave their homes and spend a certain amount of money to walk into our theaters. So I think it's our responsibility to give top-notch entertainment. You know, we're, we're it's different and it's on, it's on us and the creative team to offer that. Wow, that's amazing. And I agree that Broadway is New York and we're going to make it better and better. And thank you for giving us all of this and this and hearing what you have to say. And I'm so enlightened and I can't wait to go see the next show. Excellent. You'll have to tell me which one. Well, the one. Well, what this, do I like? Well, the one this summer that you should come see, it's called Here Lies Love. It was at the Public Theater. David Byrne and Fatboy Slim wrote the music, put it to, wrote, it, wrote it together. And it's basically the story of the, the rise of the Marcuses. But it is done. And I'm a, I was 
I'm such a huge Avita fan, so maybe this is the next generation of telling a story about a true story through music. And I've always really loved being involved with things that can educate as well as entertain. But again, it's not only the material, but it's the way that it's being presented. So you're going to go online and you're going to buy a ticket. You can do a standing ticket. You can get a ticket where you have the seat, but you can get up. And by standing, I'm talking about you're standing and dancing. This is really great moving wow, music. Fantastic. Or you can just get a seat in the back. I'm just going to watch. I mean, but where the theater has just been turned around and turned into this Manila fabulous experience. It's just going to be wonderful. It's very different for Broadway. So I'm just excited about something that, that that's offering different opportunities. It's a full Filipina cast, which I think is wonderful because again, you know, Broadway leading the charge for bringing in new voices and new talent. And I think it's great. So that would be, that's the newest one. You know, the season is still running and there's some great stuff to see. All right, everybody you hear that? We got to go check out Here Lies Love. Okay, just one more about Leopold, because to me that's personal, being that my dad was in the siege of Leningrad and mm. my mom was in the ghetto in Vilna. Wow. So they lived these great lives. And then one day there was a knock on the door and everything changed. And then I saw it on live and mm -hmm. I saw these people in Austria on the show that they had no idea. What really got me, there was the, the people that converted. Yes. They were like, you're, you, you're, you're going to the, to the gas chambers first because you're a convert. You're not even Jewish. I mean, was this all true? Like, what well, was it like uh, filming this? Uh, apparently... Tom Stoppard, of course, one of the greatest, our greatest living playwright. Nobody knew about his Jewish background, and apparently he sort of came to terms with it in his early 70s. And this is his, he said this was going to be his final work, which it is. And he wanted to base what happened in his life. I believe he was eight years old, then he and his mother got left Czechoslovakia. But he based this particular play at Leopoldstadt in, in, in Vienna. But he based it on his life. And I have the chills. It's quite remarkable. I saw it early on in London, where it first was, and I walked into the London producer office after seeing it the next day and I cried for 20 minutes and I said all I remember my grandmother was talking about what they left. They got out before but all they, she talked about from Vienna what they left. The, all she talked especially the piano. She missed her piano as a, uh, that she used to play as a, as a young person, but the art and all of that. So, of course, seeing this play, and then, of course, the scariest part about it, and it's not just about being what happened to the Jews, but could happen to anyone, anywhere, which is still happening in the world, is we can't put our heads in the sand. We cannot think that it can't happen again, whether to Jewish people or to any in, in Asia or in Africa or in anywhere around the world, uh, Ukraine. And I think it is so important for the younger generation to see it because our kids have grown up in a very comfortable world. You know, ours was, but we're still, we're closer to the atrocities. But I think it's extremely important for young people to see it, to not be complacent, to not think, well, I'm not a practicing Jew. I'm not a practicing Christian. I don't practice this or that. Guess what? You know, when they take you to the train or in the spaceship, they're not going to ask you if you practice or you don't, or if you converted. You're just going to go. So I think everybody has to be aware that hatred does not work, to keep your ears open, to speak up, to be proactive. I want everybody to take their children to it. Again, it's not just about being Jewish. It's about having an ear to the world of the rising hatred that seems to be brewing in this country as well as other places. But of course, it's scary here because, you know, I worked on the show, I'm on the producing team of the musical Parade. It's a revival, but it's based on a true story about a man, a Jewish man, Leo Frank, who was wrongly imprisoned uh, in 1914 in Atlanta. I won't go into the whole thing, but we started our first previews in March and first performance, we were picketed by neo-Nazis. 
Oh my goodness. Again, I will give a little snap, shout out to Mayor Adams because he came to the following performance and really made a speech before the show started on stage that New York City will not tolerate hatred. Do you know that anti-Semitism now, according to Steven Spielberg this morning, is higher, higher yes. than it was before Hitler. I, I encourage everybody to see Leopold. I made my children see it. I said yeah. that this is the most important thing. The word has to get out because yes. we're all very comfortable now. We like our lives. Everything's great. We're sitting in this beautiful it's the studio. Knock on, it's the knock, it's on, the the knock door. on the door that yep. says it's over. This life that you once knew is over. And let me tell you, as shit hits the fan, there'll be no turning back. You're 100% Because they're going to blame the Jews well, once again. That's for no, and you know, that is history. That is and history. And you have to be able to see this, swallow it, and stand up against all hatred. And everybody has to see Leopold. And Wendy, thank you. thank you for bringing us Broadway. Thank I'll you make for you bringing feel us better. everything Spielberg you Spielberg is turning it into, a, I think we're going to be a Netflix series. I think we're going to, I think oh. six episodes, but thank goodness. Leopold job when our Broadway run ends, we are, it is not over. I am beyond grateful for that. Not be for us, but for the fact that it will be seen by a wider audience. And when Mr. Spielberg puts his name on something, people watch. So that's great. Isn't that great? That's great. Thank you once again. And thanks for coming on The Miller Report. Dear listeners, thank you for coming on my podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please download, subscribe and share. Thank you so much. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.